0: Pride, passion, and pageantry of college football lives here. This is the Paul Feinbaum Show, Hour 2 Podcast. This
1: might be college football.
0: And
2: welcome back as we continue. A lot happening here, and we'll talk to the head coach of the University of Alabama one hour from now. Right now, we talk to Tom Luganville who uh, certainly uh, has his eye on everything uh, in college football, including recruiting. Tom, thank you for joining us. The big story today, Julian Seon, the number one quarterback, has said he will go into the portal, and we want to get some reaction. Tom, you know uh, a lot about Seon. You have seen him. Yep. You uh, have looked at him very closely. Uh, what do you see, and, and, and what do oh. you think prompted this decision? Good afternoon.
3: Hey, good afternoon, Paul. Listen, I, I think this was one of the most surprising um, additions to the transfer portal, quite honestly. This has been a young man that had already been practicing uh, with the football team in preparation for their college football playoff team. Clearly, he was entrenched and ready to go and enroll in school. Um, I am one of those people that does not believe that the addition of Austin Mack to the transfer portal coming over with Coach DeBoer had anything to do with this decision. I don't know why Jaylen, uh, Julian Sand would be worried about another quarterback that hasn't taken a single college snap. So I, I think that's a little bit of a false narrative out there. But I think in these situations, and I just heard you say you're going to talk to Coach DeBoer, you know, when you're making this transition, things are happening at 100 miles an hour. Player communication, I think, is critical. And, and between the head coach, the coaching staff, with each and every new player, whether it be a freshman, whether it be somebody who just signed, whether it be a senior, that transitional phase, the priority of the players and and finding out exactly where you are at. I think it's paramount to all else. And with some of the other departures we've seen with Caden Proctor and Caleb Downs and, and, and now Julian saying, you know, this is, this is frustrating if you're an Alabama fan, because once again, we have another loophole in a very fractured transfer portal system, that now allows guys to leave and go to the portal. Even if the portal is closed because of a coaching change. Now, if this happens in December, it's a little bit of a different situation to deal with. But now if you're Alabama and you're Caleb DeBoer, you're having to play defense because you can't go out and replace anybody until you get past spring football. Now you're just sitting there taking on the bullets. So obviously a very, very difficult time for him and his staff.
2: Yeah, and and Tom, I, I realize a very fluid situation, but thinking about the three you mentioned, Caleb Downs, Proctor, and and Seah, I mean, we're talking about enormous talent there. Yeah. I want you to address that, and I mean, you can make up for talent, but, I mean, these are unique players, are they not? Yeah,
3: they are unique players, and I would add Roy Del Williams in there too. I know that, uh, you know, when we had had uh, Alabama this year, we sat down with Coach Saban, he said it was, he felt it was the best five running backs he'd ever had in their room at one time, and they were very high on all of those guys. So now you got a guy going off to Florida State. It's uh, another established, really good football player. You know, so much of what we see with the transfer portal oftentimes are younger players that haven't um, established themselves yet, have not proven their worth at the college level, and they jump into the transfer portal. This is one of those rare exceptions where you've got guys with established production, guys that have large sample sizes of who they are, whether they're a freshman, whether they're a junior, that are on tape for people to study. So I think that's what makes this so magnified, is we're talking about potential NFL-caliber players um, with some of these additions to the transfer portal off Alabama's roster. And quite honestly, I don't. I think a lot of people are very, very surprised to, to see this coming. And I'll, and I'll say this too, Paul, because a lot of people are going to talk about the collective and they're going to talk about name, image, and likeness. And is all of a sudden Alabama not in a position to compete in name, image, and likeness. I think all of that is garbage because I think when it comes to Coach Saban and what he had established and what he had built there, there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, well, he hated name, image, and likeness. No, he didn't. He only hated name, image, and likeness if you didn't earn it. That's what he didn't like about name, image, and likeness. And so now you're, you're dealing with that. You're dealing with having to go in a different direction, different leadership, a collective, the transfer portal, which is closed to Alabama right now when it comes to going and replenishing some of these losses until they get past spring football. So there are a lot of balls in the air that Caleb DeBoer is juggling right now.
2: And, and Tom, people want to predict and, and speculate, and uh, I – I'm going to lean on you because it is very difficult to look at the Alabama roster now and, and get a handle on what this team is going to look like. Uh, what, what do you make yeah. out of it? And, and, and I know they can replenish some, but uh, the three I mentioned, the four you, and the one you mentioned, you can't replace those guys.
3: No, and we, we didn't even mention Isaiah Bond either. There's right, another one. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know if there is a short-term wave a magic wand type of answer at least until we get post-spring football and into that second period where they can now go out and be the aggressor and they know a little bit more about what they have. But, yeah, these aren't just guys that you pull out of the stands and say, hey, we're going to get the same production out of you that we just got out of Isaiah Baum. That's That's not how it works. Now, you might be able to do that with one guy. You might be able to do that with two guys. But you're not doing it with a handful or more of established potential NFL players. And I think that's the challenge. So in these next coming months, This is going to look like a a bit of a lean roster. I don't know if that means the sky is falling. because I think we've got to be fair to the coaching staff and let them put their their blueprint into place and execute it. But this has not been the type of week that I think that Alabama fans expected. And I don't think it's been the type of week that Caitlin DeBoer and his staff were, were, were hoping to have with players that they inherited that are
2: awfully, extremely talented. Tom, I want to go back a couple weeks ago when you were interacting with, with all these young players and I realize mm-hmm. there are a million stories uh, that come out of these All-Star games but uh, yeah. I'm particularly curious just uh, your your impressions of college football today especially coming from high school recruits.
3: Well, listen, man, it's, it's trickled down, Paul, even to the high school level. You know, we're getting opt-outs for an All-Star game now. You know, we're getting guys choosing not to play. It used to be that they'd come and they play during that week, and then the next day after the game was completed, they'd go and at their school if they are a mid-year enrollee or they'd enroll in the summer. Now, if you know what, I don't think I want to play. So I feel like what we've seen happen in college football has started to trickle down I- into the high school ranks. But the, the biggest thing that I think I have seen more than anything else is just the challenges now that are so inherent in recruiting when it comes to name, image, and likeness, which was never supposed to be applied to recruiting. And now, when you talk to these kids, or they're they're being touch, they're being pulled in, in a bunch of different directions. It's it's not about you know going to school. It's not about atmosphere. It's not about potentially playing in the NFL. It's not about player development. It's how much money are you going to pay me? And the frustrating part of that, and you hear the kids talk about, it, you hear what's you know what's being offered there, what's being offered here and and, and there, and all the while the NCAA is, is acting like nothing is going on and none of this stuff is happening. What they've done with Florida State, uh, with the transfer, for the name, image, and likeness stuff, is absolutely laughable if you look around the United States at what's going on. And so it has hit the high school ranks hard. The hope is that you find guys that love the game, love the development, embrace the hard components of what it's going to take to be a great player and have a much broader view of the long-term path and not just look at what the dollar signs may be right in front of them over the next year or six weeks or six months.
2: Tom, a, a, as you watched various programs, it, it, you mentioned Florida State, and I, and I agree, but it looks like Mike Norvell has got to figure it figured out, does he not? Because he's getting a lot of these players. He
3: is, and I would make, an, I'd make the argument that the most successful coach in the last three years with the use of the, of the transfer portal has got to be Mike Norvell. Because the players that they brought in have all been difference makers that helped transform the entire program, whether it's Trey Benson from Oregon, Johnny Wilson from Arizona State, um, obviously Jordan Travis, and that was long before COVID and the portal, but he was originally at Louisville. Keon Coleman this last year. The the list goes on and on and on. They hit on all of those guys. So the research that they are doing there in their transfer portal efforts, is obviously very heavily scrutinized and has proven to be very fruitful and successful. He doesn't have it figured out. I think Lane Kiffin is in that same conversation. And if you look at this cycle, you know, you're sitting there and going, okay, can we go 11-2 at Ole Miss? Absolutely. But how do we beat Alabama? How do we beat Georgia? Well, you better load up in the defensive front seven. You better load up in the back end. You're always going to get offensive guys at Ole Miss. So what does Ole Miss do? They go out. And I think they get the most productive defensive tackle in the entire portal in in Walter Nolan. They go out and they load up at linebacker. They load up in the secondary. And and that's how you climb the ladder and close the gap between your competitors.
2: Tom Luganbill, some great stuff. We always appreciate it, Tom. Thank you very, very much, Tom Luganbill from ESPN. We'll talk to Coach DeBoer in about 15 minutes. Your phone calls are now.
0: You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show podcast.
1: Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Is your schedule too packed to see a doctor about your erectile dysfunction? Well, with Hims, now you can get treated for ED without stepping foot outside your door. They're changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch.
2: And we are back in Rick is up next in Georgia. Hey, Rick, good afternoon.
1: Paul,
3: it's an honor to get to speak to you today.
2: Thank you very much.
3: Um, I have just been thinking over the last couple of weeks with the portal and the NIL and really the unbridled change in the without uh, I guess, referring to any cause and effect uh, of, of what would happen with these changes. And Kirby Smart had a point in his uh, post-game interview after the Orange Bowl about how did this happen and this needs to be fixed. We no more imagined that this could happen. Uh, Arguably, the best coach of all time of any sport decides to retire. And an institution like Alabama has been damaged so greatly, they will recover. But how did we let this happen And can it be fixed? I know it won't be rolled back, but can it be fixed?
2: Well, I think it happened in Alabama's case because of the calendar timing. Most coaches leave or announce they're leaving in early December where you still have some time to get your handle on it, get your hand on it. But in this case, it was very late. And, I mean, it will be corrected, but I don't think this thing's ever going to be fixed. I really believe that people that run the sport the uh, the administrators have wait, waited way too long and now they're just in catch-up mode and every time they they solve one problem they end up having four more created Allison is up next in Franklin Tennessee how are you Allison
4: I'm doing great Paul it's great to speak with you again thank you very much been we a while. Miss you. well I'm back you know I, I heard is uh, it John yesterday and uh, kind of giving you the, the what for and I thought, Hey, maybe it's time for me to step up. <laughs> okay.
2: I needed a good and lawyer.
4: I, <laughs> hey, you know what? I retired.
2: Well, you're you still you still know how to defend somebody, especially a talk show host. Well, this is true.
4: Uh, I agree with your previous caller there and what what you were saying. It's it's amazing that the people in the of power in the, the NCAA couldn't foresee that this would happen when you're involving a group of you know just. Teenagers are barely out of being teenagers and large amounts of money. <laughs> and when I was a lawyer, uh, I did a lot of trust work, state planning and things. And parents don't just give their, even their children who they love and trust, you know, a hundred grand or 200 grand or whatever it is. They, they put it in a trust and they have a trustee and the trustee, will make sure that their health, their education, their maintenance, and their support are taken care of and broadly defined. So in the scope of a college football team, these guys would be taken care of. I can't – oh, and also the the trustee can – you can petition the trustee for special amounts of money too. But I just can't believe – well, maybe I can believe that the NCAA – wouldn't be able to foresee obvious consequences.
2: Well, Allison, you've been around a few uh, college administrators. They, uh, they're all, they're all very smart. They're well-educated. They are not visionaries. Right. And while they knew there was a problem, when you have uh, a collection of the, of this type, uh, they just kept kicking the can down the road and, you had a you had a president of the NCAA who said over my dead body will anything infringe on amateur athletics and it was pretty much his dead body uh, that they ran over uh, <laughs> to get him out and to change the system.
4: Yeah, it it, I, it just I don't know it makes me sad. A lot of this makes me sad. And by the way, as soon as I heard about Saban, I turned you on and I haven't turned you off since. Um, thanks for thanks for being so thorough with all of this, it really helps. Uh, I would like to say that we're we are darn lucky to have had Sabin for seventeen seasons. It's a miracle, but like lightning struck us in a good way twice with with Bryant and with Sabin. and you know, and I'm just trying to keep that in mind. And I think DeBoer is a really good choice. I think they've spent a lot of time thinking about the character of the person. And uh, I think they nailed it. And uh, we might have some rough times. We probably will. And we actually already are. (laughs) But you're never going to have a change of regime and not have something going on that you don't like. But I think in the long run, it's going to be a solid, great choice. And I'd also like to point out, Milrow is the perfect quarterback for right now. Because of the miracles of the season we just had and his growth. And his maturity and uh, the way that he stood up for the team through all this, and for us to go into this time of uncertainty with him at quarterback, I think is great.
2: Allison, great to hear from you. Thanks so much. I miss seeing you. I uh, man is up next on a Friday afternoon. Well,
5: good afternoon there, Paul. How much more of this moaning and groaning can you take for a week?
2: Uh, it's been, uh, it's was been a it challenge. Okay,
5: let's back up. Let's let's revisit some of these comments. Didn't the NCAA see this coming? Didn't they see it coming? Okay. Where, where, where's all this NIL money come from? Well, where, where, where they don't deserve it. All right, let's back up. Fans, my my school has been put on probation for simply buying a guy and his wife groceries. That was all, you know, helping a helping family out, keeping them fed. All right, so they've been paying players all the time, getting cars and all kinds of little special favors under the tables. And and everybody's moaning and groaning about the NCAA coming in to the sanction. Now you can pay them anything. You can give them any. You don't even have to hide it in a McDonald's bag or a handshake. Just hand it to him. Give it to his mama at the, at the ball game. I mean – and, and now they're crying. Didn't the NCAA see this coming? Didn't they uh, look what they're doing to us, Paul? They're whining and crying, and they got what they wanted. They're never happy. The NCAA simply backed up out of the way of this monster rolling down the track that can't be stopped. This is what you wanted. Now you want the NCAA to come save? Jesus, please save us! Pray for us, Jesus, Jesus. This is bad, Jesus. I mean, when do you, window lickers, understand you getting what you wanted? But now it's biting you in the ass. And, oh, we didn't want that much. We didn't want that much. But but it's nonetheless still there. Let me back up to something Legend said yesterday. He said that, you know, I, I do all this and you don't even have to pay me. You don't even have to pay me. You don't owe me nothing. Paul, you remember that time he was advertising for some hamburger joint he went to, and then he tried to strong-arm the guy for paying him for advertising his hamburgers on the radio. You don't have to pay me for nothing. I talked about your hamburgers and onions and pickles and special sauce. You owe me, dude. You owe me, but, but yes, they you don't owe me that. When does that brown nosing contraband, contraband hiding ever come to his senses? He's a used-up carney barker, and he's not even good at that. Just kind of what kind of hats are these black hats? Are they berets? Are they top hats? Are they Stetsons? Or just damn straw hats? Don't even know. But everybody wants one. He said my name on the radio. Mama, I'm on the radio. NCAA, save us, save us, save us. You can't always get what you want, but you're getting it now. Ward, Dan, Michael, Paul, you have a great afternoon.
2: We'll take a short break. Uh, We have a lot to do in the remaining time and a lot to drink as well. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum show podcast.
1: 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing your relationships, your skills, your customer base? How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
2: We are back and we thank all of you for being here. We'll talk to the head coach at the University of Alabama next hour. Right now, we're going to talk about the guy who made way for him, Nick Saber. Alex Kirshner joining us uh, wrote this piece for The Ringer under the heading Nick Saban made Alabama too big to fail. Alex, thank you very, very much. We uh, we have a lot of people obsessing over the uh, players leaving, the, the what the record is going to be, but you dug deep into what I think it may be a, mo- a more important part of Nick Saban's legacy, and that's all the things that changed off the field. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon, Paul. Always great to be here.
2: So, Take us through what you learned and what all of us have really been leaving, uh, for the last 17 years.
0: Yeah. I think that those of us who follow this sport closely, which I assume is just about everybody listening to you right now, understand that college football was a different beast when Nick Saban got to Tuscaloosa in 2007 compared to what it is right now. But when you really drill down on the. Institutional specifics of how different the university of Alabama Became wow, and because he was the head coach there, I think it really starts to get staggering, and you start to realize how difficult it would be for Kalen DeBoer or the next guy or the next guy to really tear down everything that Nick Saban built. It's not a guarantee that Alabama is going to win three out of one out of every three national titles in in perpetuity, um, as was basically the case under Nick Saban, it's not a guarantee that the recruiting classes are going to be number one or number two every year forever. Um, but I think particularly given some of the financial growth that Alabama undertook in football in this time that way outpaced the rest of the SEC and obviously everybody else uh, outside of that conference, it's it's pretty enormous. Uh, and this is a fundamentally different gate now than the one that You know, Mike Shula or Mike Price or or Gene Stallings or pick your post Bear Bryant Alabama coach uh, ever had.
2: And what's so interesting, I know we don't talk about academics here very often, but the the impact and the trickle down that Saban had on the university's scholarship aspect uh, really is amazing. I want you to talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I think that you know, and reasonable people could argue about how good a you know whether this is a good thing or not. But when Nick Saban Gets to Alabama in 2007. This is a school with 25,000 some students. Most of them are from the state of Alabama, uh, and it's kind of a you know a reasonably small, relatively small flagship university for the state of Alabama. Uh, by the time Nick Saban retires, or, or even before that, this would be going going off of 2022 numbers. Uh, There's well over 35,000, about 38,000 students, you know, a 51% increase in Alabama's enrollment from when Nick Saban got there. Uh, It's now mostly an out-of-state students school, uh, which I think, you know, speaks pretty directly to what Nick Saban did. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I certainly knew of the University of Alabama before 2007 and before Nick Saban built this machine in football, but I think it's inarguable, and, and Alabama's administration has said this many a time over the years, that the growth of the football program uh, contributed greatly to out-of-state students who pay way more intuition, descending on Tuscaloosa and growing the coffers of that school. Uh, and if you, you know, as I think one would assume, uh, the situation for the athletic department and for the football team specifically, you know, significantly transformed as well financially during those years.
2: It, it's, it's really interesting. Uh... And I've always wondered, you know, when he was uh, about about his value, because when he was when he got there, he was paid four million dollars a year, and, and a member of the board at the time went ballistic, saying, "How can you pay CEO type money?" But if you, if you if you were to take Saban's accomplishments and put him in charge of some Fortune 500 company, I mean, we're, what are we talking about here? I know we're just guessing, but it's it's an enormous amount of money, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Um- I think we we do have an issue with uh, CEOs making too much money in this country compared to their workers. I think most people would agree with that. I think that uh, there are all kinds of economic disparities in college football that have been well documented all over, including on your show. Uh, You know, the athletes not being paid uh, and still not having revenue shared by the schools, uh, even in this NIL era. But the truth about Nick Saban is that even at the 11 mil or so that he was making in this past year before he retired that guy was underpaid uh, for what he provided to alabama and that's not true for most of these guys you know i don't i don't think that's true for pick your middling power five coach making seven million dollars a year to go eight and four and you know maybe playing the outback bowl or whatever it is now uh that guy might be overpaid i think he probably is in a lot of cases um but nick saban given what happened at alabama because of his leadership of that football program over so many years. Uh, I don't want to say name the number and it couldn't be too high, but, you know, name the number and it would be hard for it, for, for it to have been too much uh, given the institutional benefit that Alabama got from the football program.
2: Especially, uh, as you, as everyone knows, because they end up being public uh, publicly disclosed, what CEOs are making these days.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, and this is, I guess, one of the Several areas that college football has in common with, you know, big public companies is uh, you got some disclosure requirements, whether because you're a public institution uh, or because you are publicly traded on stock exchanges. And I think one of the really interesting things that we can glean from Alabama when Nick Saban was there uh, is that when he gets there, so let's take 06, the year before he takes over, you know, the year that he spends with the Miami Dolphins. Um, at that point, Alabama was one of the bigger spending football programs in the SEC, and that data is all publicly available. You know, the Knight Commission and others have done a nice job collating that over the years. It was always a big spending program. You know, Nobody's going to claim that Alabama didn't care about football until Nick Saban got there, um, but there were, they were not number one in the SEC. I think they would pretty regular, co- regularly compete uh, with schools like Florida, schools like Georgia at the top of that league, just in terms of, of straight-up football spending. Uh, and in the years that Nick Saban was there, Alabama's football spending increased like 152% if you adjust for inflation from like 2007 to 2022. Um, the rest of the SEC was like 115% on average. Uh, I don't wanna bury you in numbers, but the idea is that when Nick Saban became Alabama's coach and gradually showed Alabama what was possible if they kind of marched to one drumbeat, uh, if donors gave, if the school responsibly stewarded the television money that has come in over the years, including obviously from from this network, um, that that they could see the benefit, uh, and I think that that is why I have argued, and you know, in this piece at the Ringer, that Nick Saban really did make Alabama too big to fail, uh, is that the financial advantage that they have amassed. You know, they're spending 17, 18 million dollars more every year on football right now than even Georgia is uh, for second place in the SEC. Uh, and money isn't everything; doesn't guarantee anything. You know, Texas A&M can certainly tell you that. Um, but it counts for quite a lot in this sport, Uh, and I think that Nick Saban's kind of lasting legacy at Alabama is that he got them to spend a lot of it, and I suspect that that's going to be pretty hard to unwind uh, under Kalen DeBoer. Mm,
2: Great stuff. Uh, Alex Kirshner joining us, uh, his piece in the ringer. We'll take a short break here. Thank you very much, Alex. And uh, mentioning again that uh, Kalen DeBoer will join us here in just a few minutes uh, as uh, he completes one week on the job we'll be right back
1: you're listening
2: to the paul feinbaum show podcast
3: we all know breakfast is an important part of your day but sometimes when you're traveling for business you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any you know what happens you grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely we've all been there
1: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
2: We are back and let's get to the phones and check in with Brenda in South Carolina. Hello, Brenda. Hey, Paul. How are you? We are doing well. Thank you. Great.
6: Um, I am just an Alabama mom. Um, I don't know all that much about football. I even feel very nervous calling your show. Um, But... I've watched your shows over the years. My son graduated from Alabama in the early 90s, and our whole family are just absolutely staunch fans of the school, of the football team. We just love it. I was already grieving for a husband who died, and then I heard about Nick Saban. I just cried. I just, <laughs> mm. that is sad to me to see him go, but um, I, I hope that. Alabama will the people in Alabama will stand behind this new coach and give him a chance. I really hope that we'll all do that because he certainly deserves it. I'm disappointed with the boys who are leaving. I, I just feel like once you make a commitment, you should keep that commitment. My husband, one thing he always instilled in my children, were you're not going to be a quitter. Once you say you're going to do something, you're going to you're going to do it. And they've grown up appreciating that about him. But my question to you today is, um, I have some friends who, in South Carolina, the big team is Clemson, of course. And Clemson's okay. I mean, I don't have anything against it. I think Dabo Swinney is a nice person. I don't have anything personal against him. Um, I think his school loves him like we love Nick Saban, and I appreciate that fact. Um, but when this happened last week, uh, my good friends said, told me they said, "Oh, we just heard that uh Sweeney was was first one to be offered the position at Alabama, and he turned it down." And they heard that from Fox. And my, I had not—I'd been listening to you for two days, and I hadn't heard that, but I could have missed it. But I said, "Well, don't I think what I heard was schools have agents who who." represent coaches who represent whatever I don't really know enough about this to know what I'm talking about really, but Did they offer him? Was he the first one on the list? Do you know and did they offer him this job? And didn't he turn it down?
2: Brenda, uh, I'm only going to give you an educated guess I'm so sorry to hear uh, You mentioned your husband. I I know we we mentioned that once before but um, I would I would say emphatically no Alabama did not offer Dabo Sweeney, uh, he played there, he coached there, mm-hmm. but I don't think there was any any sentiment at all uh, from from the people whom I with whom I trust that he was on the on the short list.
6: Okay, well, that's what I thought. I mean, I didn't want to. They're just wonderful friends. I didn't want to no, argue uh, and They by are really, staunch Clemson I, no, I don't know
2: for a fact. but <laughs> I would. I'm just. I'll try not to sound too uh, haughty here, but I am going to trust the people that I talk to more than whoever these people are that you were talking to, if that's fair.
6: Yeah, that's that's, that's fair. And I, I don't, we, uh, you know, I just, I told my son the other day, I'm, I'm, he is such a big Alabama fan. Oh, my goodness. Um, we all are. My, my husband graduated from Walford College, but um, <laughs> at the uh, end of his funeral, which was very you know, we were in the chapel, and the last thing the people going out of the chapel heard was the Alabama fight song, which <laughs> <that's
2: great. laughs>
6: which would put a smile on, it, on most uh, Brenda, people's how, how faces and knew a, what it was.
2: A, not to talk about sad things, how long has it been since the funeral?
6: Well, he, he had a um, hemorrhagic stroke on Christmas morning. Oh, my um, goodness. Yes, and so this year was, it's been a year, and I'll tell you, I used to fuss at him, and and I'll say this to wife, I used to fuss at him for watching football all weekend. I said, (laughs) oh, we just, you know, but you know, when football season came around this year, I, I turned the TV on to football because it made me feel like he was here. Right. And it was very soothing, and so I've kind of gotten a little more involved. I mean, I always watch Alabama with him, but um, and we watch Clemson with our friends. I sure. uh, have family and friends, graduates of Clemson, but I just did not personally want Dabo Sweeney to go to Alabama. I, I'm just he's okay. I mean,
2: i like I said, uh, Brenda. I've, I was I saw Dabo at an event a year or two ago. He he is he's got a certain uh, group at Alabama that he's close to, yeah. Um, but, and he's been very kind to that university and I'm not, I'm not here to say anything. I, I know Dabo very well and uh, he, he's not going to be the Alabama coach. Uh, he, he was never in, in, from my sources on that short list. And it's, it's, it's not that he isn't qualified. There's, there's probably nobody more qualified. In terms of what he's accomplished, but uh, I just feel like that train has passed. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to uh, about. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, about five years ago, I was uh, hosting an event in Birmingham, a Hall of Fame dinner, and he was being inducted.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he had the president uh, of the university there, the board, and 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 his and his athletic director, and in front of a couple of thousand people. I said, "Listen, I shouldn't say this, but I just saw Dabo Sweeney with the chairman mm-hmm. of the." Board of Trustees at Alabama, and that announcement will come later. and And that place went deadly quiet, um, because, because that was right after he had beaten Alabama uh, in 2016 for the national mm-hmm. championship. And and he 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 did joke. He said I. He said that's the only way I was ever getting in the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame if I beat Alabama. Um, <laughs> at, at that moment, everyone in that crowd thought he was going to end up at Alabama. But a lot changed and uh, I think he's definitely going to stay where he is. Thank you very, very much, and uh, again... Yeah, just... and
6: thank you, Paul. I, I, I enjoy your show, and I do like how you dress, by the way.
2: Thank you. <laughs> uh, very nice of you to say that. You'd be well. <laughs> okay. So, so good Thank to, you getting very getting much. You. Let's uh, check in with Booker, who is in uh, New Jersey.
7: Hey, hello, Paul. Thanks for taking Happy New Year to you. Booker, Happy New Year. Great to hear from you. Right. Uh I I don't know whether it was accidental or what, but I'm glad that somehow the guy that referred uh, earlier to the inmates running the prison, I'm glad either you cut him off or he went off.
2: I'm glad you're glad.
7: Hello, yeah. Now, here's what I'm getting ready to uh, – I'll be 85 years old – Eighteenth of June, but my medical record says I'm about sixty-one or sixty-two. So I've been watching football ever since I was six years old. Uh, my daddy was still playing college football during the war uh, when I was when I was in the first grade. Uh, the NIL and the transfer portal. Now the first, let me say the first thing. I'm an outcast in my family. I'm the only one. Everybody in my family pulls for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm the only. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, so I have to take my plate and go sit in the corner when the game's going on. And I have a cousin who has a, a doctorate from the University of Michigan, but you know I'm a Ohio State fan. Uh, I think that Ryan Day did less with more than anybody in the country uh, this year. But now when it comes to this, the NIL and the, and the transfer portal, it seems to be uh, that uh, in the SEC, they applaud when somebody like Joe Burroughs transfers in, and then they want to switch it when somebody else transfers out.
2: Well, Booker, uh, you, you understand this because you have been around a couple of years. That, uh, yeah, I, I understand. It's Here's okay as long as uh, my team is getting the benefit of the doubt, but it's not okay. I think the biggest objection people have, and I, and I don't know how many people were, were aware uh, that this clause that when a coach leaves, uh, the, the portal now opens. And we, we, we dealt with that in November and December. We just haven't dealt with it this late in the calendar. Booker, I hate to run, but we are running into, uh, into the break. Uh, we have a very special guest coming up here in the next segment. We are going to have our first chance to talk to the new Alabama head football coach, Kalen DeBoer. Uh, we uh, look forward to that very much. Uh, hired exactly a week ago around this moment. The coach joins us straight ahead.
0: You're listening to the Paul Feinbaum Show Podcast.